Awesome. Hey, a big thank you to all of our uh, friends and volunteers who joined us last night in Harvey Field. Uh, we had about 5,000 there just rallying in the valley, worshiping, and we was getting messages and texts and emails. People saying, I'm hearing a noise from the valley. What is this racket? I said, oh, that's the sound of God's people. We just woke up. We just starting. We just starting. I don't know uh, about you, Lighty, but to see what happened last night, it gave me great confidence if we can do 5,000 in a field on a random sunny Saturday night, watch what God gonna do for Easter at the Everett Arena. Fred, we're just beginning, we're just beginning, we're just beginning. And even now, we're just, we're just seeing the very beginning of the goodness of God in the land of the living. The Bible says this, every good and perfect gift come from the Father above. He is the Father of lights. In him there is no shadow of turning. Revival is a gift that God sends to a church who is willing enough to admit that without him, they are nothing. And we're seeing it now, we're seeing it now. And so just amazing, all the signs, miracles, salvations, baptisms that happened last night. It's such a privilege to be able to partner. My friend Sean Foyt is with us this morning. He's got two new books that he just released, Brazen, and bold. If you haven't already got a copy, these are going to be for sale at the info booth on your way out. I encourage you to get one. And I just believe that in this season, God is raising up folks who are not echoes, but instead voices. Voices who are contending for God to do what he has promised to do and will not give up until they see the fullness of what God so desires to do across this region. So just excited to be here. Hey, wanted to give you an update. Last week we did something that we have never done before in the eight year history of the church. We took what's called a heart for pursuit offering. So many folks have been asking, what's the update? What's the update, pastor? How much did we raise? I am pleased to report this morning that we are just north of $982,000 that has come in. Hello. Folks are still giving, people are still sowing. If, if you wanna partner with us, you can give online. Just select Heart for Pursuit. We'll make sure it all goes to the right place. But man, Fred, you are sitting in a miracle. This don't happen in the Northwest. You are sitting in a miracle. And God is making up for lost time in the church by sending his spirit without measure. And uh, man, we just feel like the most fortunate people in the world. We know that it's not because of us. Half the time it's in spite of us but God is showing himself strong. We're not so impressed with us, but we are very impressed with him. And now we're just beginning. We're just beginning to see the rain that God's gonna send all across this region. I promise you, I know it seems like a lot now, like, man, could God ever supersede this? Could we ever do anything bigger than this? Man, is this the best it is? No, our best days are yet ahead. Many of you know, last week we announced this as well. There's signups in the foyer, but we're launching Pursuit Elementary School, starting with preschool and kindergarten. Spaces are already filled up pretty quick, but if you or a family member like to sign up your little gremlins for our program, we'd be more than happy to have them. Everybody always says, no, my kid's a perfect angel. No, your child's a fallen angel. And <laughs> yeah, we gotta pay people to deal with them. But anyways, we're excited to have you. And if you'd like to go ahead and sign up, we'd sure love to have your family a part of this new season of Christian education. This morning, I'm gonna share with you out of the book of Ezekiel. And in chapter 37, where God takes Ezekiel into an open vision, and he shows him God's future for the children of Israel. I don't know about you, but over this last season, I have found great courage and comfort in the Old Testament prophets. 
what I found is that the pattern of God is that when man is at its worst, God raises up voices to inspire them for a better future. And all I know is this, over the last 2000 years, the church has survived war, pestilence, plague, persecution, tribulation, interference, and all it has done is grow. Why? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the advancement of the church. Which means, friend, we are not on defense, we are on offense. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our King, and to His increase there is no end. Which means as long as there's a family that doesn't have a place to call home, the church has a reason to grow. As long as there's a young person who is yet to meet Jesus, there is a reason for the kingdom of God to advance. And you are a part of an ever-increasing and ever-advancing kingdom that cannot give up, that will not stop short of what God has called us to do. Because Christ isn't just a stone, he is the chief cornerstone of our faith by which the entire church is constructed. And friend, if God be for us, then who can be against us? I don't know about you, but I just got to encourage myself a little bit this morning. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. When the enemy come in like a flood, watch what God does. He raises up a standard. This God has never lost a battle. He has never not come through. He has never not shown up in our time of need, and he will not start now. We are living in the best days to be alive. And what we are standing on is the precipice. I promise you of another great awakening. It's going to sweep the West Coast. It's going to change the nation. And the glory of God will cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. Friends, you got the best seat in the house to experience what God is going to do in this season. You got to be encouraged this morning. You got to shake off the heaviness of the Northwest. You know what it's like in this region. We get eight days of sun a year just, you know... Feels like while well, I was walking around with the spirit of heaviness, but the Bible says, even though weeping lasts for a night, there is joy that comes in the morning. And there is something that is coming and it's already here, but it's growing in even greater measure. And it's gonna cause the church of Jesus Christ to rejoice again. As God says, let me prove myself strong once more. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel finds himself speaking to a remnant people who've been carried off by a king named Nebuchadnezzar into Babylonian captivity. The temple been burned, the city's been ransacked, families have been separated, and the Hebrew children find themselves in a generation of bondage. And in the midst of the crisis, God raises up a voice named Ezekiel. And that's where this story starts this morning of, uh, in verse 1 of, of chapter 37. Watch what the Bible says. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and, and he set me in a valley, but that valley was filled with bones. I want you to see something this morning. In the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord, it would rest on people for specific times and specific tasks. But in the New Testament, it is not the hand of the Lord that rests on us. It is the spirit of the living God that takes residence inside of us. See, Ezekiel operated under a time-limited dispensation of God's anointing to conduct certain tasks and to say certain words. But in the New Testament, all can prophesy, all can preach, all can evangelize, all can dream dreams and have visions because the spirit of the Lord has made us one. Which means this, 
Since the cross forward, it's always the time for healing. It is always the time for deliverance. It is always the time for declaration. It is always the time to see the kingdom of God made manifest around us. I don't have to ask God if he's interested in healing. I don't have to ask God if he's interested in miracles. We live under an open heaven invitation to participate in the business of the king. And what is the business of the king? Matthew 10, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. And why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king of heaven is here. I don't need you to take a spiritual gift test to figure out whether you can be a bold voice in this season. You can. I don't need you to take an Enneagram test to figure out if you can evangelize your neighbor. You can. I don't need you to be a special person with a special degree and a special title in order to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It is your birthright function. And because you belong to Jesus, what belongs to him belongs to you. Which means we are not waiting on revival. We are walking, living, breathing ambassadors of another environment. Our citizenship doesn't belong here. It belongs there. I am seated in heavenly places. I am a co-laborer and a co-heir of God in Christ Jesus. And when I am in him, I am more than a conqueror. And so often we reduce spiritual gifts to whoever's on stage or whoever has a title. Listen, friend, if you don't serve God without a title, you won't serve him with one. It's not about what man confers upon you. You have been stamped by God with his identity. And if that's not enough, nothing else will ever be. Not all the accolades or resumes of the world can ever amount to an identity that has been secured by the Father. And I want you to know today that you have permission, not just to be a victim of culture's narrative, but instead to be one who declares the words of God and sees things fundamentally change around you. No, Fred, this is who we are because this is the type of God that we have. Church is not where we gather to watch one person operate as the anointed man or woman of God for the hour. Church is where we come to celebrate that the Spirit of God now takes residence in the temple of our hearts by faith. And everywhere I walk becomes an opportunity and an invitation for God's reality to be made manifest. Watch what Ezekiel says. I find this interesting. He says, God showed me a vision, but before he did that, he brought me out and he set me in. See, Ezekiel about to have an open vision where God is going to show him the reality of what is and then inspire him with the hope of what's coming. But vision isn't produced in your life until you give God permission to bring you out and set you in. See, some of us want new vision, but we're not willing to forsake old patterns. When Jesus heals the blind man in Mark 8, he takes him out of the village to restore his vision. When Jesus heals the 10 lepers in Luke 17, he instructs them to leave their village and go show themselves to the priest. When God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, he tells him, leave your country and leave your people and I will make your offspring as numerous as the sands of the earth. Watch the pattern. When God is about to do a new thing, the first thing he asks his people to do is move their feet. That's why when Isaiah receives his prophetic calling in chapter six of the book that bears his name, he responds to the invitation of heaven by saying, here am I, send me. And I know oftentimes we wanna make it God's responsibility 
to do everything on our behalf and just have us stay as kind of disengaged observers of the world around us. But my Bible says the kingdom of God is not in observation, it's in participation, which means there is a God-given role for you to play in what is coming next. And that's how we have skin in the game. That's how we have this feeling of belonging and helping and stewarding the great things that God has given us. I am not just content to watch other people make history when God has given his church a voice to change the world around us. That's why the Apostle Paul calls the church the pillar of truth in society. No, we are a light set on a hill for all men to see. And if the world ever needed the light of the church, friend, it's now. It's now. Here's the problem. We want fresh vision. We want new opportunities. We want open doors. But we aren't ever willing to allow God to inconvenience our location, our setting, or our comfort. But I'm here to tell you, new seasons require new strategy. New wine, it requires new wineskin. Fresh growth, it requires a new wardrobe. The problem is we want new vision inside of us without new settings around us. You ever have the experience of leaving the city just for a minute? You go up to the mountains, you camp with your family for a day or two. You find yourself at night walking around marveling at how many stars you can see. No, those stars didn't populate as soon as you left the city. They'd been there all along. It was the simple fact that you had the discipline to leave the busyness of what was to get a fresh perspective of what is. How much fresh vision never gets realized by God's people because we are simply unwilling to be brought out and set in. I know this church is filled today with folks who've been brought out. God brought you out of the old and he set you in the new. You showed up and you went, man, this don't feel like the place I left. That's the point. It feels a little uncomfortable. Feels a little different. They're asking me to raise my hands and come forward and give. And I think they might actually believe what this Bible teaches. It concerns me a little bit. I can't tell you how many times over the last two years we get nasty emails telling us you're running a cult. And I thought to myself, how sad is it? that the church in the Northwest has operated in such powerless Christianity that when a few voices decide to go all in on what God says, people accuse us of being a cult. But I wanna be the type of folks who they say, who are these men who turn cities upside down? They are unlearned, but they've been with Jesus. I can't explain it, I can't quantify it, all I do is criticize it, but I can't ignore the fact that those folks have been encountered by the living God. And friend, when you're encountered by the living God, it'll give you the strength, and the boldness and the courage to stand and after you've done everything to stand to continue to stand this is simply our moment to not give up for our salvation is near oh yeah they're gonna call you every name in the book just put on your seatbelt. they will accuse you of everything under the sun just be okay jesus says in this world you will have trouble but you can be of good cheer for christ has overcome the world. Now watch how the story continues. Verse two is where it gets good. He said, he led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of that valley and they was very dry. 
Now he asked me, he said, son of man, can these bones live? And watch how Ezekiel responds. Sometimes we get so spiritual with God, he just gets sick of it. The God of the universe is asking Ezekiel a question. And he responds, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The bones in the valley, they represented the condition of God's people. It was a graveyard of missed opportunities. It was a valley of dead dreams. It was a wasteland of depression, disobedience, and disillusionment. And the fact that the bones were dry tell us that they had been in that condition for a long time. But I want you to see something this morning. What looked like death to man was the ingredients for an army to God. And the miracle begins with a question that God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? See, watch the types of questions that Jesus asks. Do you want to be made well? Who do men say that I am? Why are you so afraid? Do you believe that I am able to do this? What is it that you want? In fact, the New Testament records that Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels alone. And here's what I found. When God asks a question, it's a pretty good sign that a miracle is soon to follow. Can Seattle live again? Can the region be transformed by Jesus? Can the Northwest encounter revival? Can the church continue to grow? Could God cause us to have a miracle million dollar offering? Could God help us launch an elementary school? Could God give us the strength to add another campus? Can these bones live? I am here to tell you today, yes, they can. I want you to see something this morning. Dead things don't become living things until a living person declares a living word. Hear me, it wasn't enough for God to know the bones could live. He needed a partner in the earth to speak forth a word so that God's reality could come alive. It's no wonder St. Augustine said it like this, without God, man cannot, but without man, God will not. Whether you like it or not, the Bible says, the highest heavens belong to the, earth, belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. You got dominion, which means you got responsibility, which means the answer to whether or not our cities can live again has a lot to do with what you are willing to, dec to decree. Listen, of course God knows if the bones can live, but he's not asking the question for his benefit, he's asking it for yours. God knows, but do you? Yeah, God knows the end from the beginning. In fact, there's no place that you'll go that he hasn't already been. He already knows how the story ends. If it's not good, it's not over. If God showed you all what he was going to do through your life when you said yes to him, it is so freaky out, you would have never said yes. God knows. So when God asks a question, he's not looking for your advice or your input, he's looking for your obedience. And can I tell you, obedience makes you the answer to somebody else's prayer. When you're willing to say yes to God, 
What it does is it begins to unlock the hearts of men and women all across this region who can now walk in their God-given fullness because God found a few radical individuals who are just willing to believe him at his word. I feel like Mary, who was talking to the angel Gabriel, who was so overwhelmed by the declaration that he would bring. And finally, she just finds herself in a sovereign moment where she responds to the angel, let it be unto me according to your word. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to look. I can't tell you the nasty things they'll say about me. Man, my life feels like it's over, but let it be unto me according to your word. And then Mary breaks into a prophetic song. She says, he has exalted the lowly. The God of my forefathers has remembered my estate. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has visited me in this moment. She didn't have all the details, but she refused to allow the anxiety of what was to come to rob her of a song in that season. And I'm just here to tell you, friend, God has seen some stuff that you won't ever see. He knows some things that you won't ever know. Were you there when he hung the planets? No. Were you there when he aligned the stars? No. But that God holds your future in his hands and he is unwilling to let go until he accomplishes everything he so desires to do. Can these bones live? That's up to you, it ain't up to him. Can God reach this region? That's up to you, that ain't up to him. Can God fund this vision? That's up to you. That ain't up to him. So often we find ourselves praying for things, not recognizing that God's invited us to be part of the answer. I think this is even how healing works. Psalms 107 and verse 20. The Bible says God sent his word forth and it healed them. It rescued them from the grave. The Bible says later on that he sent his word forth and it accomplished everything has been sent forth to do. You know, when I'm praying for folks to receive healing, I'm looking at a diagnosis, but I'm declaring God's destiny. I'm looking at brokenness, but I'm declaring God's healing. I know what the opinion of the doctors is, but I've got a greater opinion that comes from the great physician. I think so much of our life revolves around the declarations that we're willing to make. Can my body be whole? Could my marriage be restored? Could God reach my kids who are far from him? Friend, watch the declaration of your mouth because the power of life and death is in the tongue. When God asks me a question, what follows up is an invitation for me to be a part of the supernatural answer that he desires to send. Watch verse five. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you'll come to life. I'll attach tendons to you. I'll make flesh come upon you. In fact, I'll cover you with skin. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Notice, notice, the noise doesn't occur before the prophecy. It occurs as a byproduct of the prophecy. As I was prophesying, there was a noise. As I was worshiping, there was a breakthrough. As I was praying, something started to shift. As I was coming to the altar, my healing began to happen. I feel like most Christians live most of their lives reacting to the noises around them. Friend, we don't react to the noise, we create it. <laughs> and as he's prophesying, all of a sudden, 
he hears it before he sees it. The thing that God is about to do next. I want you to know in prayer, you're putting your ear close to the ground. And you're beginning to hear the rumble that is still a far way off. But it's the noises that you hear in your spirit that give you great confidence to keep on knocking until a door is opened unto you. You know what I heard last night in that field? I heard bones coming together. You know what I've seen Sunday after Sunday over the last number of years in this church? Flesh coming back to the body, tendons being restored, muscles being strengthened, minds being renewed. But I want you to notice something. It didn't matter how much structure was formed in front of Ezekiel, the bodies were still dead until the breath of God began to blow. And you can have the best structure, the best programs, the best wineskins, the best metrics, the best measurements, the best wisdom of man, but until God begins to breathe, you're nothing but a lifeless body. And God tells Ezekiel something interesting. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to the north. And then I want you to prophesy to the south and, and then to the east and, and, and then to the west. I want you to prophesy to the wind until the wind becomes my breath and makes this army live. I want you to see something. The scriptures say that what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. And what is loosed on earth is, is loosed in heaven. Which means this, that every act in the natural is a seed for the spiritual. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It's not just a nice, cute little way to end our prayers. We are invoking the authority of Jesus to make good on the promises he's made. As we're speaking, declaring, worshiping, praying, giving, serving, promoting, prophesying in this environment... We are speaking to the natural and in doing so, reaping a whirlwind in the spiritual. I speak to a natural body and supernatural healing happens. I speak to natural finances and supernatural resources begin to flow. I speak to natural environments and in doing so, God begins to breathe and at his breath, we come alive again. No friend, in this environment, when you raise your hands in worship, all of hell begins to shake. When you give at this altar, that spirit of poverty is broken off your life. When you serve in that kid's ministry, you are raising the next generation of revivalists. When you make a decision to show up at church, even when it's difficult, you are acting in the natural and friend, you will reap in the spiritual. And if there was ever a time for the people of God to have breath back in their lungs, friend, it's now. Oh, you can have the best programs and you can have the coolest branding. You can have the best musicians in the world and the best communication on this side of heaven. But when the breath of God begins to blow, there ain't nothing man can manufacture that ever amounts to that. And I'm telling you, I feel that breath in this building on Sunday mornings. We're just sitting here giving our natural, but we're reaping in the supernatural. We're just here offering God our time, talent, and treasure. But there is something about extravagant worship that opens a window of heaven and prepares God's people for a blessing. There is something supernatural 
happening underneath our feet and it rides in on the confession of God's people. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. Ezekiel's prophesying to a bunch of captives. Their temple has been burned. Their families have been separated. It feels in a very real sense like their futures have been erased. And do you know Ezekiel's words from chapter 37 will take 40 years to complete? There's an entire generation that will steward this word in captivity and never see the fulfillment. But after Ezekiel, God raises up a man named Ezra and then a man named Nehemiah, and they get favor from the king to rebuild the temple so that God's people could rejoice. And I am just confident that if I never see the fullness of what I am believing for, I'm still gonna be faithful to contend for this soil so that the next generation can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's why your faith is important. That's why generational obedience is important. That's why your stubborn refusal to give up matters in this moment because there's a generation that waits on the other side of our obedience. I know what the nation looks like. I know what the Northwest feels like, but there's the sound of rattling bones in my spirit and I'm not gonna give up until God raises an army in the Northwest. Come on, friend, would you stand with me as we close?